Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. Welcome to today's guest. We are back for season six of the Period Story Podcast, and I'm so excited to kick off the season with my conversation with Connie Longdon Jefferson. Connie is what I call a reproductive health polymath. She's the co-founder of the period and leak-proof underwear brand, Nixie Body. She's a writer and content creator. Please check out her reels if you haven't already. They're hilarious. And she's also a host and moderator of reproductive health events. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. So enjoy. Hi, Connie. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, let's start the conversation with the very first question I ask all of my guests, which is tell me the story of your very first period. So my first period, I think I was 10. I was around 10. So I was pretty young. I mean, I think as I've gotten older, I realized that actually quite a lot of people do start their periods around that age. But I was certainly first in my friendship group you know um there wasn't many people talking about having the period if they if they were and I'm pretty sure I started after a dance class so I would dance on Saturday mornings and I'm pretty sure I came home and was like oh okay and that's actually the vast majority of my periods do come on now when I'm doing physical activity so I don't know if that's common I'm sure it is but it's like, it's always like I'm in a spin class or I'm swimming. And I'm like, okay, here it is again. So that was, <laughs> that started like a lifelong trend. Um, so yes, yeah, so I came home and I remember, yeah, I, I just remember seeing like, it wasn't even like blood. I guess it was like almost like rusty in my knickers and being like, oh, but I knew what a period was. Like, even though I was 10, I knew all about periods. Um, well, I've learned a lot more as I've gotten older, but, you know, I knew fundamentally what they were. So I don't think I was scared or freaked out. I was like, okay, like this is happening. And then I remember my mom, like, she went out and got like almost like a makeshift first period kit, which was like ibuprofen and paracetamol. Uh, so like big black knickers, like pads, um, a cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> and then and this is the prop that I mentioned before we started recording she got me a nightie which I still have and I'm showing you now with this like scotty dog on it but this this gross big nightie is 22 years old oh my can you believe it and I still wear it when I'm on my period like I'll be like this is what I go back to it's just this big gray t-shirt essentially (laughs) And she bought it me and it was just all like, okay, right, this is how this is going to go down. Like, you might feel a bit uncomfortable. You might want to get, like, cozy. Like, here are your big knickers. Here's your big gross nighty. <laughs> um, and I kind of remember it being 
exciting. You know, it was like this thing that I knew was going to happen. It was like about growing up. I think there wasn't so much fear attached to it. So it was actually quite fun and exciting and special. And, you know, me and my mom had this quite like nice evening of her telling me stuff. And so overall, it was pretty positive. You know, I feel really lucky that it was it was a positive experience fundamentally. And now you still have your like period comfort blanket. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like how how I still fit in it, I don't know. It must have been huge on me when I was 10. <laughs> and like how I have lost everything else and all other things in my life at this like weird 90. And like my husband will still be like, he'll see me wearing it sometimes if I'm just, you know, wanting to be cozy. He's like, oh, have you come on your period? <laughs> <laughs> So we all know what the period night is about and it's it's lasted longer than like any relationship I've ever had. It's like a like a talisman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and you mentioned that when you first got your period after the dance class, you were kind of like fine with it. Mm. What What kind of education did you have prior to that to make you okay with it? Yeah, I was sort of thinking about this. And I think my mum is like fundamentally a very open person. And we've always had a really open relationship. But also around that time, probably when I was seven, she went back to school to do a biology A-level. So I think she was really interested in the human body and was quite factual about these things. And I think around seven, eight, nine, I started to ask questions about sex and stuff you know like this things like that like I remember discovering what discharge was and being like what and like she had to <laughs> explain that like it's all fine so we were kind of I guess before I start so yeah if I started my period at 10 I think sort of eight nine we were having conversations around the body and what and what goes on and I remember asking her once about I'm really gonna out myself we we're like two minutes in I'm saying something embarrassing but I remember asking her about, I saw people kissing on TV and I remember saying, I feel funny when I see these people kiss. (laughs) And I think it was the Brady Bunch. It makes it sound like I grew up in the 70s. I don't know why I was watching the Brady Bunch. And I remember her like kind of in an age appropriate way, like explaining like, I guess hormones, you know, she was saying like, okay, yeah. And like, as you grow older, you have these hormones and it makes these things happen and it makes you feel these things because you makes you want to make a baby. And, and I actually think that she was telling me this, dropping me off at someone's house. Like I think her friend's house and then started to tell me about periods, but had to go to work. So sort of dropped me off and was like, I've just started telling her about periods. Can you, can you pick it up from here? (laughs) So, so yeah, I just think that it was quite factual, you know, it was, um, there wasn't taboo, I, I guess, around having these conversations. It's like, this is a bodily function, like this is what's going to happen to you. And so the kind of shame or embarrassment or awkwardness around talking about it just wasn't really a thing in my house. I mean, that's from a child's perspective. Maybe my mom did feel a bit like, okay, how do I do this? You know, parents are always having to navigate stuff. But for me as her daughter, like I definitely didn't feel like it was a big deal or something to be embarrassed about or something that I couldn't talk to her about, I guess, which is the biggest thing. You know, I've listened to your podcast for for a while now and I hear these different stories. And, you know, there are some really sad stories of people that they get their first period and they don't want to go and talk to their parents or they don't have anyone to go and talk to or they have no idea what it is. So I guess feel really lucky that I had some level of education from her. Uh, Because I guess, 
I, you know, I don't even think at that age, I think I started my period before we actually had proper sex education in school. Um, maybe that's not accurate, but I seem to remember that probably being about 11 when we started to actually learn about this stuff in schools, which is way too late in my opinion. So I was like sat there like the elder statesman of the class, like I've already <laughs> got my period, actually. I know all about this. <laughs> and how did the very pragmatic approach you had with your mom connect with the conversations you then had with your friends about periods and what was going on with your body? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think it's that thing of almost like anything when we're kids that we think things are normal. And, you know, I think shame is 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 learned, right? You know, it's, mm. it's learned by people's reactions to us. So we can be into something that people think are weird. And then like you don't realize it's quote unquote weird until you go to school. And then people are like, mm, that's weird that you're talking about that. And I think it was maybe a little bit like that with me and kind of periods and and, you know, other things related to kind of sex and stuff, because like at school, when people start to have this, there is this like shock and this kind of embarrassment and giggling, you know, in class and stuff. And I just didn't feel like that. And I was probably probably like a precocious know-it-all about it, I imagine. I was like, oh, well, actually, it's this. And, you know, da, da, da. and I think that I was really happy to chat about that stuff. And people just weren't or they found it awkward. And then I think that then made me feel awkward about it, even though I'd kind of been quite happily going along you know with my period for maybe a year or two and then suddenly I was like oh everyone else is embarrassed to talk about this or everyone else doesn't want to talk about their period you shouldn't either I think which is such a classic thing of of kids right you know so I think maybe I went kind of like one step forward two steps back in terms of my relationship with the openness um of talking about about periods stuff like that and how long did did this shame sit with you or does it still sit with you? I'm trying to, I think that maybe shame is too strong a word in terms of, I don't remember being like particularly ashamed, but I also didn't feel like it was appropriate to talk about stuff. So I don't think I was ever like truly, truly like embarrassed for myself. And I don't think it affected my relationship with my period, but I definitely kind of was like, you know, now I feel like periods are it's all I talk to my friends about, you know, and like we're always swapping stories. And we're, you know, if I forget to track my period, I can search period in my WhatsApp messages and I'll find the last day I came on my period because I probably have texted at least one of my friends announcing it. And it's like a connection sometimes like, with people and and, and, a, and a basis of a friendship. And then especially in the work that I, that I do and the people that I get to chat to. But I guess there was a period of my life, no pun intended, but I probably imagine up until you know, a few years ago, where I just didn't, didn't, it wasn't something I felt was anything, any people wasn't something people wanted to talk about, you know, it was kind of like, it's private. So mm. maybe it's not shameful, but it's private sort of thing. Um, but I guess the other part of that going to is I didn't have a period for 50 because of contraception. So I kind of feel like, and I was on contraception from the age of 15. So if you think there's like maybe five years where I had a period was quite comfortable-ish with my period, um, would love to have chatted about periods to people, but no one wanted to play with me, basically, with my weird, like, obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I go on the pill and I'm on hormonal contraception until I'm 30. So, and because I was on progesterone only, I just didn't have a period. So I guess periods then just were not part of my life. 
in a weird way. So they just became not part of my life and not part of my conversations, I suppose. Why did you end up going on the pill? So my recollection, I had really bad acne. So my period started at 10 and really it was like puberty was just like came hell for leather for me at that point. You know, I remember being 11 or 12 and I mean, I'm not a busty person like I never have been. And I had like the biggest boobs in the year and I was the tallest girl in the year. And so it really felt like womanhood just like came at me full mm. throttle. And, you know, the stereotypes of teenagers going through puberty. Again, we say teenagers going through puberty, but I was 11 mm. and I had suddenly got like acne and boobs. and was really tall and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think that was really hard because... I felt that was something I was ashamed of, actually, not my period, maybe a bit puberty, like I just felt like turbocharged into um, being surrounded by kids and feeling like I'd just grown up and it was it was quite difficult. So I think that acne um, is where the conversations around um, contraception and stuff came in, which, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, like just so awful that that happens. And for other people, it might be for irregular periods or painful periods, but it was one of those conversations of, oh, well, we could put you on this, um, you know, and that could help. Um, and I shortly after that, like, was sexually active. So it all kind of like, I think I maybe started it for the acne. And then I was like, okay, well, now I'm sexually active. So this is great. Like, I'm on, I'm on contraception. And, you know, it kind of just snowballed from there. Mm. Um, but I changed contraceptions a lot in those early days. Um, I really struggled with my mental health and um, various things. And I think as this is so common, you know, we hear this all the time. So I remember navigating that and eventually landing on progesterone only um, seemed to be the thing that worked best for me. But with progesterone only, you're not having that break. So you're not having this quote unquote period. It's not a period, obviously, it's a kind of withdrawal bleed, but I didn't have any of that either so once I got into procession only I just didn't have a period and then just yeah like didn't have a period for at least or even a bleed for for over a decade and I find that really fascinating given the work that you do having spent so much time without a bleed and now you are really deep into this reproductive health space so Talk us through switching the contraception, like what happened there, and then then coming out the other side. What made you decide to come off of it? So, um, sorry, do you mean switching contraception at the start? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I remember, and again, I guess this is like having this conversation. It just really makes you look back on like being a child versus being a teenager and that kind of transition. Because as a child, like I said me and my mom would talk about all this stuff and it wasn't secretive. But then when I became sexually active, I guess, even though we'd been very open about that, there was still like, I just didn't really want to talk to my mom about having sex. Like it wasn't like Gillian Anderson in sex education. Like it wasn't that level of openness. Like we were there with things. And I think as I got older, like you get embarrassed and you you become less close with your parents. You know, there is that time. Um, So I think I was really navigating that contraception, flip around and change around on my own fundamentally um and just trying to figure that out and I remember like sometimes I go to the doctor or sometimes I go to um like a family planning clinic and you know I'm sure they were all doing the best job that they can and I think like people that work in those scenarios like I guess they're just drilled into like make sure like they don't get pregnant like that's your 
like KPI as like, just make sure this teenage girl doesn't get pregnant. So they weren't talking to me about, you know, the different, what the different types of contraception could do or the side effects or, you know, or even contraception on the whole, what that could do, you know, it is just like, okay, well, let's take your blood pressure. Let's check this. Okay. Try this one, try this one. So my memory is definitely over a few years going through a few different pills, like different brands, I guess, or um, trying combined pill, trying the progesterone only mini pill. Um, so it was a lot of chopping and changing, um, which obviously was messing with my cycle um, 100%. But I just didn't have the um, knowledge that I do now about about cycles and didn't have the, um, I guess, interest. Because I guess, again, what had been drummed into me at school is just like, just don't get pregnant, just don't get pregnant. Like, that's all you need to worry about at this point. Like, you don't need to think about what impact your hormones are having on your health or you don't need to worry about like the phases of your cycle and how that can but you know it that was not taught I didn't know any of that right so I guess yeah into university I think I maybe kind of settled on progesterone only um and again even with that I would like hop on and hop off like if I had a boyfriend if I didn't you know and I just didn't have the knowledge that I have now and you know I would I would act completely differently Um, and then eventually I think I landed on having um the implant so um probably at around 25 I, I I landed on the implant and that just seemed to be okay for me and I didn't have to think about it I have to remember to take something every day um and then I guess the the reason that I came off it was I started doing what I'm doing so I started um I was working and then I, I wanted to do some writing work on the side as a freelancer. I went to university to study journalism. So that was always kind of what I wanted to do. And one of my first clients was Parler, who we both, you know, that's how we met, right? Yeah. Through, through working with them and they do some incredible work in the, the the reproductive health space. And so I started working with Lena there and just through, I guess, osmosis of writing about things, I just started to learn loads more. You know, I was 25, 26. So fertility wasn't something I thought about you know even my period wasn't really something I thought about for a long time um and just working in this space and hearing the stories and writing about stuff and meeting experts like yourself really opened my eyes to reproductive health as a holistic whole thing that is not just about getting pregnant or not getting pregnant um but also the the struggles that people can have when they they are trying to get pregnant and the conditions that people can have around their period you know, it was a whole, it was like going back to school again, basically, mm. to, to learn all this stuff. And through that, um, you know, Parla offer um, at-home fertility testing. And I, you know, Lena said, do you want, you know, you could try this for free, basically. You know, I think maybe or maybe she wanted me to write about it. Like, I can't remember. But it was like, but to do that, you have to contraception because um, you can't take the test on hormonal contraception. So I thought, okay, I'll just do that. And maybe I'll come off it and then go back on it again. You know, at that time, I was definitely interested in my hormones from what I've been learning. And but I had no plans to have a baby in the near future. Um, I think maybe Mike and I had just got engaged, but you know, we were definitely not planning on having a baby. So I thought I'd come off, do the test, and then maybe go back on. And then I came off and I was just (laughs) blown away. I think the combination of my period coming back to its natural cycle, coupled with the timing of the work that I was doing. So I was learning about all this stuff. I suddenly was, this is amazing. And this is like game changing for me to like know what is going on with my body and like understand and know how I feel about things. You know, I think when I was chopping and changing between pills or implant, you know, sometimes I was really down or sometimes I was really uninterested in sex or sometimes I was this. And 
I really thought there was something wrong with me or something wrong with relationship, you know, stuff like that. And then I came off, just started to see like, oh, like I am all these different things at different times and there's patterns and I can see things and I can learn about, you know, how to optimize those times and stuff. Um, And so that was three, four years ago now. And I've been just having a natural cycle ever since. And that's just allowed me to learn more and get more interested um, and just have a completely different relationship with my body, really, and my and my sense of self. What I find so fascinating is if we go back to your teenage years, how you were navigating these changes in medication by yourself at 15, 16, 17. And I find that so mad considering how powerful these modifications are, how powerful they the changes are that they affect on the body, and also how many changes are happening in the body, the brain, hormonally during those years. And, you know, that's no slight on you because you did what you did. Um, but I just think it's a, such a kind of almost indictment on the medical system that you you have someone so young that that can do that. I mean, yes, there is a positive side to it because sometimes people don't want their parents to know or and be involved in that in those decisions. But it's just fascinating that the doctors didn't say like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa," you know you're this age and you've changed contraception so this many times like we need to give this some space we need to figure out what's going on here 100% agree and you know I'm sort of like you know you look back and you try and think okay was that actually what was happening or was that my memory of it but I I do think that whilst that story sounds bad, like it's not uncommon. Like I think like that probably is the reality of what was going on to a certain degree. Um, and I think you're right. I think it, it is right that, that that young people can take control of their sexual health without their parents' consent and stuff like that. Like I think that, like you said, has its benefits. But ultimately it all comes back down to education because it's fine to have a system that allows young people to have autonomy over their own health. But you can only have like true autonomy if you have the knowledge and you have the info and you have the information and like giving a 16 year old like a pamphlet. Like, did you see that thing the other day where someone made a dress out of the pamphlets that you get given with the pill? Like it's so much paperwork and it's all really tiny. And like you're telling like a horny teenager to go and read that pamphlet. They're like, no, thanks. Like, I'm just going to take, you know, it's that's not education. Like that's Mm. ticking a box from a pharmaceutical company to say like, okay, well, we put all the information there. Like we did that. But it's not real education of young people about the side effects or the implications or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And also kind of just education around like when you can actually go and can get pregnant and actually, you know, and. And, you know, we, we've obviously both watched The Business of Birth Control recently, which is like a fascinating film. And I think we've got really strong opinions and that, you know, there is this big question mark of like, OK, what do we tell young people? Because whilst as adults, we might really advocate for natural contraception and like, know, you know, the fertility awareness method and things like that. Like, OK, for a young person like that, that is like a lot and their cycles are changing all the time and it's a lot of responsibility. So I guess I don't have the answer to what we need to do but we need to do something different to 
at least what we were doing when I was at school. But from what I hear, I don't think it has changed that much mm. in in the last 15 years and certainly not enough. So I think we still have a lot of young people that are making these big decisions about contraception and about their sexual health without you know enough information about their body. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just decoupling the conversation from how not to get pregnant to having a conversation about what's going on with your body. Just like making it more of a pragmatic conversation of your body's changing. This is what's happening. This is, you know, these are what's happening with your menstrual cycle. This is, you know, how you can benefit from it rather than such a fear-based conversation, how to avoid getting pregnant. And yeah, I just find it, it, I find it interesting on a personal level because my son is nine. And so next year, he's going to be having these conversations at school. So obviously I've already had all of these conversations (laughs) with him um, in in an age appropriate way, but it just, I find it still very chilling that this is how kids learn about sex and their bodies still. And then we bring porn into the conversation, which is just, it's so, just so horrifying that, that's how so many kids are learning and teenagers are learning about what sex is. And that is not what sex is. Okay, I, let's digress a little bit. Yeah, I was about to go on a rant about condoms then. So yeah, I'm glad you stopped me. <laughs> so going back to where you your head was at when you came off the pill or took had the implant taken out. Mm. Um, I'm curious, when you went back to cycling naturally, you mentioned that you were so much more aware in the changes in your body and, you know, aware of what it meant to have a period. Did that mean any changes in your relationship with your now husband? That's a really good question. I think he would certainly say for the first few months, it definitely changed our relationship because my PMS was like really bad. (laughs) I was pretty lucky that my, you know, my period actually came back fairly regular, fairly quickly, um, which for many people, that's not the case. And I think when we get into a fertility conversation, that's so important to recognize that, you know, just because you take the implant out and they're like, you could get pregnant next week doesn't mean you're going to. It can take a long time. So I think it did change our relationship. I mean, I think that, you know, it all kind of there was a lot going on at the same time. It's like I came, I came back to cycling naturally. We were planning a wedding and then I started my own business and then we went into a pandemic, right? So there was a lot going on emotionally. Um, But I think that me understanding my cycle and by extension, him understanding it, and he really does, you know, that is, again, I feel really lucky. I shouldn't feel lucky that my husband will talk to me about periods because, you know, everyone should be talking about it, in my opinion. But, you know, we, I, we do have that relationship and we now can navigate these things that like, And not in that kind of like, oh, you know, she's hormonal, like, oh, you're flying off the handle. It's not that eye rolly thing that I think culturally, like we do do sometimes. But, you know, he, we can recognize together through our relationship, like, oh, like, I'm, you know, I've just ovulated. I'm really, really tired today. Like, if you ask me to do anything, like, I'm probably, you know, I'm just having one of those days. And he's like, yeah, cool, get it. You know, 
I'll even say like, let's schedule date nights, like in my ovulatory phase. Cause I'm like, I'll really want to go out and I'll be really good company then. I'm like, whereas if we start scheduling loads of stuff, I'm like, I know I won't want to do that when that happens. <laughs> and I think us having that transparency and those conversations, I think does make it like a lot easier to, to be in a relationship, you know, like you're living with that person every day. And I think because I know my body better, I can relay that to him. And we are kind of like all on the same, we're kind of synced up, like not like syncing our periods, but syncing our approach to our relationship and like the emotion, the emotions that come with that. Whereas I think when I was on, um, on contraception and I wasn't having this cycle, I just really didn't know, like, I, I couldn't even say like, oh, well, I'm doing my periods. That's why I'm feeling really sad and irritable. Like if I was feeling sad and irritable, I'm like, am I like, is there something wrong with us? Like, is there something, you know, is he not the right person for me? Or I'm really unhappy, like what's going on. And I just didn't have any markers to kind of help me figure things out. And obviously, mm. you know, hormones are a huge part of I, I, my emotional makeup, but things in life happen. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm ovulating and feeling great like if he annoys me then he annoys me and like that's going to happen you know at different times of the month but I do actually I really do believe that our relationship is a lot better for me having this this knowledge um and him sharing that with me as well you know it not being like something that privately I'm you know keeping it from him from not gatekeeping that information from him like he yeah. knows full well um how I might be feeling on different weeks and I think that that helps him I think he's probably really grateful for that yeah that's really interesting because you know having a partner that is so a male partner that is so open um about periods and just is so is so matter of fact um about them is really important because it helps you even if you feel you're that you're really comfortable with it it helps you get to a place of even deeper comfort mm -hmm. I believe so you know if they see your tampons or your pads or your cup like <laughs> last week I or the week before I finished my period and in the shower I washed up my cup I was like okay I'll take that downstairs and I'll boil it mm -hmm. and um, I forgot and it was just sitting on the side of the of the tub. And my husband was like, oh, you know, don't forget your cup. You know, you just left it there. You know, you, you need to take it downstairs. And I think that's just testament to him and how well he hears me talking about this all the time. Yeah. So he's had to get on board with it. But the fact that like he when we first met he was so like he was just such a like stiff like kind of like your the arch archetypal british person in my mind yeah <laughs> very proper and for him to be in a place now where he's just so casual about it i think it's really important and i just love for everyone to just be so comfortable with talking about periods totally but I have a question off of the, the back of that. Do you ever kind of get in these situations where you are so, because you're so comfortable talking about periods, you feel like you're pushing other people where you can sense their discomfort? Yes. Yes and no. I think there's times when I feel like I'm actively pushing people and there's times where I'm just like, Oh my God, Connie. Like I, I remember I went to, I just moved to Brighton a year ago and I've got a lovely friend, Lara down here. I don't know anyone here. And she was like, I've just been here a few months. And she was like, do you want to come to my four-year-old's birthday party? She was like, not the most exciting invitation, but like, 
hey, like, do you want to come? I was like, yeah, do you know what? We'll come, we'll meet some people, lovely. And like, I literally walked in and met someone I've never met before, like a friend of hers. And I, within two seconds, I was like, something, something. Oh, well, you know, like I'm doing my period. So blah, blah, blah. And I could just kind of see her face be a bit like, like not like completely shocked, but I did just think, yeah, like I hadn't even told her my name and I'm telling her where I am in my menstrual. And sometimes there's times like that, that I'm like, there's nothing to be ashamed of, that there's nothing, you know, it's all good. But sometimes I'm just like, Connie, what the hell? <laughs> like you are way too comfortable. It's like I and I feel the need to tell people. I think maybe that's the thing, and I think that's less about period shame and just me, more about my personality of being like an oversharer. That like I will just yeah tell you where I am in my menstrual cycle before I tell you my name. But <laughs> times like that where I kind of accidentally maybe make people feel a bit shocked or uncomfortable they're like whoa okay guess we're talking about periods and then there are times where I still actively have to call not call people out because that sounds harsh but I was talking I went for dinner with a friend the other day who's a guy who's same age as my husband we're all friends right so we're all cut from the same cloth like ostensibly and he's helping me at the moment because um, the period underwear brand that I'm co-founder of you know we're looking into doing some partnerships in sport and this that and the other and he works he works in that area and we had a two-hour conversation about this business proposition And in the two hours, he didn't say the word period. Like he somehow managed to talk about period underwear for two hours without saying the word period. And eventually I did say to him, I was like, you've not said period. Like, are you okay? Because you're like (laughs) somehow like dancing around, like can't bring yourself to say the word period. And he kind of laughed, you know, like he took it on the chin and then he was like, oh yeah. Like, but it was it was really funny that I was like, oh my God, okay, yeah, there's still a lot of people that it is just this taboo or this word, like, and it makes them feel awkward and makes them feel icky or like whatever. I don't know. But that it's this, this, like, this word that just cannot be said or this concept that can't be talked about. So, yeah, I do think I'm, I, I push people on that sometimes and not to make people feel uncomfortable but I think it's a trickle-down effect right that if we as adults as like educated like empowered adults can't talk about this stuff then how is the next generation of people going to talk about it and you know I'm very happy to be that annoying person that talks about periods a lot and helps them feel a bit less like awkward because I don't really think there's anything to talk about. And I think the other thing, and I, this is a story I heard yesterday that I really want to share it because I think it's so important. My husband's a paramedic, right? So he's a medical professional. He's delivered babies. Like he's seen like plenty of vulvas and vaginas like in his day-to-day work. So he's maybe more comfortable than some men. But the other day, someone told me that they were at a sporting event for teenagers and a girl collapsed. And the first aider went over to her. She had stomach pain. And he said, okay, this is a bit taboo. So I hope you don't mind me asking, but are you, and he like was dancing around asking her if she's on her period. And it's like, it's a medical situation. She's having a stomach. I think that's, a, and apparently one of the dads actually stood and said, this isn't awkward, Sarah, like, are you on your period? Like, it's a medical question. Like why, if we have medical professionals still being awkward around it, then that just shows that we still have a long way to go to breaking this kind of taboo and shame because, you know, that's just not okay. Yeah, that really isn't okay. A trained medical professional dancing around menstruation. I mean, if you don't want to say period, say menstruation. It, that's that's mad. I know. What's so interesting is then taking it to the kind of other end of the spectrum. So working in this space where 
you have people who are very comfortable with this, rightly so, because this is the work that we do. Then you have this spectrum of very pragmatic conversations to the other end where people are a bit more woo about it. Mm. And I was talking to someone last week and she was talking to me about her her bleed um, and how it's a very spiritual time for her. And I was thinking, in my mind, I was thinking, I really hope she doesn't ask me if it's spiritual for me. And she did ask me and I said, no, it's not. And that's the kind of other end of the other side of the coin where you're kind of navigating the space where people who are very pragmatic and then people who are much more kind of spiritual about it. But I think that's the beauty of being able to be comfortable is that you can appreciate once you're in this space, once you're comfortable, the kind of depth there is to this conversation. Yes, totally. And I'm with you. I think uh, it's not spiritual for me, but I'm not a spiritual person, I would say, in, in terms of you know, the, the the massive spectrum of spirituality that we have now. So like, and I sometimes find those conversations, I find them really fascinating in mm. the same way that I find like religion fascinating. Like I'm like, okay, that's really cool for you. Like it's not for me, but like awesome. But I think you're right. Like there's such a, a, a range of experiences people can have with their periods and we should be allowed to talk about all of them and not feel ashamed of any of them. Mm. Um, but even if people can't get on board with the spiritual side of it or the woo side of it, like you've got to get on board with the medical practical side of it. Like, come on. Like, even if you don't want to talk about anything else, like be able to ask someone if they're having a period in a medical situation, like, come on, that's like the most basic that we should be at, I think in society by now. Yeah. So now you work in this space and you have a lot of different hats that you wear. So you are the co-founder of Nixie Body, which is a period underwear brand. I have a pair. I love them. They're so Yay. comfortable. <laughs> um, and then you also write content. And then you also are a host um, of reproductive health events. So talk a little bit about the work that you do and how you ended up being so diverse in what you do. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think writing is where I started. And and once I started working with Parler and kind of got the bug, I guess, of reproductive health, I think I sort of made it my mission to like only work with with brands in the reproductive health space and I guess become an expert commentator on it. Because I think that's what I'm really, um, you know, I always have to say, like, I'm not a, a practitioner, like I'm not an expert. And, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I'd love to do that. But right now, you know, I'm a commentator, like in the same way that any journalist that specializes in the area, you do kind of become an expert by osmosis of getting to talk to these people and in people. So I feel really lucky for that. And I think that writing is one part of it, but like ultimately it's just about having these conversations and getting these conversations out there. And so whatever medium that is, whether it's writing an article, whether it's hosting an event or a podcast or making like silly reels that like I love that's actually like doing video stuff is my favorite and you know making people laugh and making people think and I kind of see it when I do stuff like that which I think is putting my personality and my creativity like front and center but I feel like it's a Trojan horse to get these conversations out of the echo chamber because I think that you know 
in this space, I'm so lucky to have friends and net and a network of people that, you know, we're all on the same page. And to some degree or another, we're educated around this stuff or we care about this stuff or we have different areas of expertise. But, you know, we're we're not the people that, you know, need to content or need to read these articles really like we're the people that are writing them so I love it when like you or anyone are like oh my god I love that thing you put out or, you know I love that but what makes me even happier is when I have like some of my male friends or someone with a daughter or you know people that are a bit outside of this space going oh my god like we saw that video that you did it was really funny and actually I didn't know that and that's really interesting I'm like yes that like that is what I want like out of anything I do is get these conversations broader and get them into like the mainstream sounds so ridiculous because like you know half the world are having periods so why on earth would they not be mainstream like that's like a pretty pretty big target audience but you know getting people to to hear about brands hear about experts like yourselves and just keep kind of like growing the conversation out so I guess it is like a really interesting full circle where I was the girl at school that wanted to talk about her period and everyone's like, shut up, like <laughs> you weirdo. And now I get paid to talk about periods quite a lot. And, you know, and and sometimes I'm sure people are still a bit like, you know, my in-laws are, is a really interesting one because I think they're a bit more conservative and they're so lovely. But I do think that when Mike and I were together and they started, I think they were a bit like, what on earth does she do for a job? And like, what is going on here? <laughs> and now like they love it. And they're always liking my stuff on Instagram. And, you know, so I think all stuff like that, like I think trying to use my creativity and my lack of shame, I suppose, <laughs> to to get these conversations out there in any way that I can. And and support brands that are on the same mission, you know, that want to kind of educate people. Because if you lecture people, you make you, you make stuff too uh, boring, for want of a better word, or too kind of like um, I guess not inclusive. Kind of like, oh, you know, this is a women's space, and like we're talking about women things, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I love, I'm proud to be a woman, and like I love that we can have our like little safe spaces but we need to bust out of those safe spaces if we actually want culture to change mm. um and I'm very happy to do that and if that means making some men uncomfortable in the process then I don't really mind <laughs> <laughs> and talking about like having conversations so when you do your hosting work mm. I find it really interesting because that is a skill being a host and what you're doing is quite it's quite complicated because you're you're applying the skill of a host as well as laying on lots of this quite technical information mm. at times. Talk a little bit about how you moved into that sort of work um, and how, you know, where you want it to go. Yeah, I mean, thank you, because I think sometimes I think when I watch people host, like it doesn't look like a hard job. And then once I started doing it, I was thinking in my head, this feels like a really hard job, but maybe I'm just not very good at it. And then you kind of talk to more people and they're like, no, it's really hard, like especially when you're moderating a panel of people. And I think that also, you know, there's the technical layer of it, which you mentioned. And I guess for that, I just have to research as much as I can and, and also always throw it back to that expert. But 
There's also a lot of sensitivity a lot of the time that I'm talking about these things because, you know, we talked about periods a lot today, but, you know, with that can come period health conditions like endo or PCOS where people can have had a really, really tough time. Or maybe I'm talking more about fertility or pregnancy loss um, or menopause, you know, and I think that there is so much sensitivity that is needed around those conversations. And I think that my genuine empathy and genuine care for for anyone going through those conditions and therefore the people that I'm often in doing I think that comes across and I think that one of my skills is making people feel comfortable and, and not feeling ashamed about those things and I guess that is because you know that's how I've been brought up is not to feel shame um but I you know I definitely like that's where my passion really lies because I think that you know, it's really nice to sit here today and talk about my story, but, you know, everyone's story is so unique and so different. So I think sharing people's experiences and being a vehicle to, to help people do that, be that hosting a panel or, you know, I'm just about to start my own podcast actually about about this sort of stuff. And, you know, I think I feel honoured that I'm able to have those conversations and that people feel safe enough to share that stuff with me. And I feel like whenever I talk to people, we really get good meaty conversations out there because. You can sit there on a, and hosting a panel and have your Q&A list, but these conversations are nuanced and complicated. And so, you know, you have to be genuinely in that conversation and with that person to get the best out of them and to get their story out. And I'm really, really grateful that that I get to do that as a job and, you know, would love to do more of it because it's it really lights me up just sitting there and getting to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, you I look forward to seeing you do more of it because you are you are good at what you do. I've been on a couple of panels that you've hosted and it's been, it's been great. So you do, you do all of this work. What do you have coming up that you want to share with people? What, you know, what do you want to get out in the world? So I think that next year, you know, we're recording this now and it's 2022. So, you know, 2023 is just around the corner. And I think, I think Nixie Body, which you touched upon is something that um, my period underwear brand is we're going to be doing a lot of stuff next year and it kind of connecting it to everything that just spoken about because we've just gone through a rebrand and part of that is talking about um, exercise and movement like we're kind of almost like a sportswear brand because the underwear is completely VPL free so they're really great under yoga pants and leggings and stuff so I think as that mission's become solidified like we really want to talk about campaigns around exercise and menstrual health and exercise and mental health and like the intersections there menopause you know all of these different life stages postpartum you know all these different life stages that women go through or anyone who's having periods will go through at some point exercise and movement and I know this is something you teach when we're in your kind of you know with your yoga and everything is so so vital mm. so we've got a few really exciting campaigns that are going to be going on next year um all around that sort of stuff and I think we'll be doing some host I'll be hosting some events around that um and I'm finally getting a podcast out myself and actually I thought really hard about that um that, about this podcast and what I want it to be and what I've realized is I want it I kind of actually what I was just saying to you about getting things out of an echo chamber I think there's a lot of podcasts that are about certain things and I think generally when you start a podcast you should niche down that's actually the advice but I kind of decided do you know what I want to have a podcast where we've got like men and women and young and old people in different places because I really want to kind of challenge people to listen to conversations that they might not feel a part of in terms of reproductive health because mm. I might not go and listen to a menopause podcast, but my God, when I interview you and, you know, people like 
Kelly and Samantha about menopause. I'm like, why are women in their 30s not listening? Why are men not listening to conversations about endometriosis? Why are women not listening to conversations about, you know, um, varicoceles and low sperm counts? It's like, I feel like we're already siloed in the conversations around reproductive health. And I think that ultimately does come from shame and fear. Mm. So I'm hoping I'm going to host a podcast that is hopefully going to be engaging and fun and a bit broader that will hopefully try and get people into these conversations in a different way. Very exciting. Well, I'm really excited for everything that you you have coming up. I think it's brilliant and you're going to continue to do brilliant work in this space. So I'll all of the interesting insights and stories that you've shared today from that, what's the one thing that you would want the listeners to take from, from that? I guess I would really challenge people to, and I'm sure most people listen to this because they'll love what you do as I do, you know, are more comfortable, but I think I would challenge people to have conversation around their period outside of a space that might feel comfortable. Try and make people, not don't try and make people feel uncomfortable, but let's like push those boundaries. Like I think that if we want to see change on a societal level, you know, we started this conversation talking about education and young people and, you know, we could go so far down the road about the workplace and all those sorts of things. For change to happen, you have to get it out of the group that really cares about it and make other people listen. And I think on a micro level, we can all do that if that's like talking to your partner about your menstrual cycle or telling your boss that you actually need to take the afternoon off because you've got period pain. And that's really easier than done. But I think if we can try and make those tiny little or introduce someone and tell them that you're in your period before you tell them your name, like (laughs) I did, (laughs) you know, I think if we can challenge ourselves to do those little things that feel brave, like we'll start to realize that they aren't, they don't need to be scary. And actually conversations around periods do not need to be intimidating and don't need to be embarrassing. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Where can people find you? So I usually hang out on Instagram. Um, It's at Connie LJ. Um, And I'm not as hot on Instagram as you. You're on it. But when I I do post, it's usually quite good value. And it's usually about periods. So um, yeah, I would love to connect with people on there. And my my DMs are always open for period chat. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you, Connie. Please, thank you so much. This is such a dream. Thank you. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.